Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Peter Coghill, Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing how Cloudflare killed the internet. Peter, I've no idea what all this is about. Enlighten me. Cloudflare didn't kill the whole internet. Good. They had a, they had a major outage on their own platform. What is Cloudflare? So Cloudflare provide various uh, hosting uh, services, um, and one of the, one of their big things that they do is website hosting. So they have what's called a distribution network. So if you host a website on their server, their distribution network will replicate that website around the world on other servers, such that users of your website or get fast response yeah, times from your website. Makes sense. Um, and it was this this particular service of theirs that got knocked out. So it's not the whole internet. Most of the internet was still working. Um, it was just users of Cloudflare and um, any sort of third-party users who were using things that had been built on Cloudflare that, Flare that uh, had problems. So basically what, what had happened was that they were simulating um, rolling out of an update. So they were... they continually make updates sort of every day probably as many providers do to address security concerns or or, or, or vulnerabilities that have been discovered in in their code so it's a continual um, development cycle that happens all the time so they were pushing out an update and they were pushing it out in what's called a simulated mode which is what they thought was a safe mode for trying things out so basically what happens is um, it's tried out on it's tested it's designing tested Back at back in their headquarters, uh, which is designed to iron out any potential problems, and then they push it out in simulated mode, which means that um, real traffic gets routed through it as if it was for real, but it doesn't actually affect the result. Mm. So they can see how it would affect the, the world, the system. But the problem was that this particular update had got an error in it, which caused, even in in simulated mode, caused the CPUs on the servers to max out and consume all of the system resources which meant that they weren't they became less responsive to management traffic and all sorts of other things so basically the whole thing just locked up um so and this was a routine small change that, that caused that caused this and in a way that they hadn't really anticipated i don't i don't think they'd ever appreciated that a change like that could cause the cp cause such a fundamental change uh, caused such a fundamental problem with mm. the servers. It was only really supposed to be affecting the traffic going in and out of the servers. But um, so, but they fixed it. They fixed it very quick. Um, and what's it? What's what's really quite interesting and fascinating is that they gave a very detailed uh, post mortem on the event, published it on their blog for everyone to see, which is quite unusual for big tech giants to do. Yeah, it'd be, I can't imagine Facebook or Google really doing that, really being that open and transparent about their own mess up and saying, sorry, uh, it was our bad and this is exactly what happened. But uh, yeah, the problem started at uh, 13.42 Universal Time on the 2nd of July. They, did, they diagnosed it uh, 20 minutes later, like 14.02. Uh, by 14.09, they got a temporary fix in, which meant that it all started working again. And then by... Um, 1452 they'd got a proper fix in place so incredibly quick really but still that's that's still like uh 27 minutes or so before 
with when people were being affected by this, okay. this problem. And what what is our interest in this? Why do we want to talk about it? Well, I think our interest is that there seems to be a, a fragility to the modern world caused by these highly complicated systems that are, that are that uh, rely on each other to in to 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 operate and so well okay so thinking about then is that, it too fragile are we too dependent on it do we need to do something about it well that being the case can even though it was a quick fix um what were the effects then what i mean to, what were some of the yeah what happened because of this uh well so the uh, effect that most people would have spotted really is lots of websites not being available um and I imagine uh, lots of um, web apps uh, also went offline. So there'll be there'll be th things on people's phones, on computers that rely on services that are published on um, on Cloudflare service. So I, I can't, I don't think any banks are on there. But imagine online banking. If a part of your online banking system relied on the Cloudflare server, yeah. it m probably would have stopped working. So there's a greater, um, uh, as the world becomes more complex and we're more reliant on these sorts of things and these sorts of systems, does that bring with it an inherent uh, fragility and, and an overdependence? And it's probably it's probably the case that some uh, say 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 uh, I was relying on a service that you'd produce, Fraser, and you had used the Cloudflare server, but I was I was didn't know that. Um, there's sort of several orders of potential um, Cascade cascading failure, failure that, and I, me as the me as providing my service may not have known that it was caused by that particular. Yeah. Thing. So I've got a question for Peter, probably really, but uh, I don't know if it's a more general question. I'll but, probably I can answer it as well. I should imagine. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, the internet was specifically designed for this sort of thing not to happen. It was, it, the whole idea of the internet was to be was to be more robust. Uh, was to decentralise things and to well, no, stop... Wasn't the old... Are you sure? Wasn't the idea of the internet to communicate? Yeah, but the idea was if, if a part of it got knocked out by... To communicate a in a bomb, robust way. If, it, oh, if part of it got nuked, the whole rest of it would keep working, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's become the very thing it swore to destroy. How are we more... How is it? How are we more vulnerable to sort of single points of failure now well, well, than, than than we were in, a, in, in the sixties? In some way, we're not though, because it did this. This one change didn't knock out other service providers, so this was just isolated. So you got so you, at this sort of application level layer that we're dealing with, where Cloudflare, this Cloudflare cock-up happened. There were lots of other service providers who were still were were completely oblivious to it. Didn't 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 matter a jot to them. In fact, if anything, they probably got more bandwidth. But they didn't matter. So you've got that level of sort of robustness in that you can have multiple overlapping service providers, and also the but the 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 it's still the case that the un, the 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 levels below that application layer are incredibly robust. So the things that are delivering the packets around between the servers to your to your client, they are built on very similar tech that ARPANET was built on, um, and. That is incredibly robust and resilient and auto auto healing and things. So as parts of the network fail through hardware failure or through flooding or whatever, or cables being cut, traffic is automatically rerouted around different different places. So there are different so the fragility is not at this not at that layer, although there are there are vulnerabilities to it, but fragility is at the sort of top layer because of because of things, because of, largely, you, often because of human failure. Chris? Yeah, well, I, th I think the thing for me is not necessarily how fragile uh, is the internet uh, or, you know, d um, cloud dependence on, on the cloud. 
but how how dependent are we on on the internet? That's that's the sort of thing that you know do, do our lives grind to a halt at the point at which so even even if we think this thing is is incredibly robust which i have no doubt that it that it is uh the fact that a minor sort of um perturbation in it uh can um can cause ha- potential havoc is i think the more the more worrying thing so it's it's you know it's not about the um robustness of the internet per se but when it does go wrong, either in, in its entirety or in part, how how much are we affected by it? And I think nowadays, an enormous amount. And so that's that's mm. almost the, you know, the resilience planning we should be thinking about is, you know, where else you might um, deliver yeah. those services, store that information. And I mean, I feel like what we've done is consume the additional um, robustness benefits that we could have had. Uh, from the internet we consume them to make things cheaper and more efficient and um, as a result i feel like actually in terms of our day-to-day services they are much more fragile and by fragile i mean much less much much more prone to um failing because of a single error and and i i think you know a typical example might be if you're booking a flight or something you know in the old days you'd have gone into a travel agent they would have they would have done something with a piece of paper and possibly faxed someone and you know a human at the other end would have transcribed it into their system and when you rock up with your passports you know a human reads it and they go oh yeah i can see you know you've got you've got an h in your name where you shouldn't have but that's fine it's obvious that you're the same person whereas now you know you you um the system is not resilient to that kind of fuzziness so if you have made a spelling mistake on your you know on your um check-in you are not going to get on that plane if if your if your passport does not match the the spelling of the name of the person who's supposed to be traveling you you you've got a massive problem on your hands and and i i feel like that that kind of experience is something we've sort of in order to make things cheap and easy to deliver through the internet we've sacrificed away that robustness and we and we now i think we're only i feel i always feel like you know it is much much harder when anything goes wrong it's much harder to deal with it now you know if you if you are trying to you know if you restaurant booking goes wrong if the restaurant you know is happens to be closed there's no very difficult to kind of find that out and you know if you're trying to get hold of um if you're trying to appeal against a a parking ticket or if you're trying to get hold you know get hold of someone in the council because some specific thing is it's all much much harder or just trying to get a receipt from vodafone or anything right exactly where you know in the past these things would have could have failed quite a lot and you'd still have got something that would do the job now you know there there is just because of these systems being so rule-based um you know for what in individually all looks like good reasons when we're now in a position where if one small thing goes wrong there's almost no human on earth who can stop who can correct it and get it get it right but but we are but we all benefit from that trade-off that we've made so your flights are cheaper because there are less people involved in the process Mm. so you can now fly to Europe for 30 quid, whereas 20 years ago, the equivalent price would have been much higher. Mm. Agreed. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the issue. But, but the, the big question is, when we're faced with these catastrophic failures, like with Cloudflare, I know it wasn't catastrophic in strategic terms, but uh, you know, the, the question is, um, are, do we understand what those risks are? And are we actually making the right decisions? And I'm thinking of things now, but sort of the dependence that we've built in 
on you know to access our services through you know streaming is a good example so you know you've i've I've bought a bunch of films on amazon prime for example i own lots of games on steam uh i you know uh, i don't actually use spotify but i know people who've you know spent a long time constructing playlists on spotify they are not going to have any of those things if any of those services go go down whereas you know if i have a piece of physical media I, 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 you know, it's, I can do what I want with it. I can be as safe as I want with that. And, and, and um, you, you might say, well, actually, it's more likely me as a person, I'm more likely to cock something up and delete my own data than, you know, Steam or, um, or Spotify. But, that isn't the point, I, I think. You know, I, I sort of feel like the, the problem is my dependence is the problem. Mm. You know, it may well be safer, but I, I don't I now no longer have any way uh, to manage that risk. I, it's out of my hand. Uh, yeah. Peter? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the yes, I think I think you're right. It's your your because you, you've, you've sacrificed agency for convenience, mm. I think, is kind of uh, a, a, a way of putting it. But the the, the, the a lot of these sort of Internet cock-ups occur when a process either either is badly defined or not followed correctly so there's a there is a, there's another good example there was a, the, the verizon b uh, bgp optimizer um problem in june this year it was the was a major proper proper low level internet uh, outage for most of, for a lot of the united states where basically the the uh, a small internet service provider provided some updates for Verizon to include in its DNS, which would then get populated across the rest of the internet. And no, nobody, the, all the, the checks weren't followed properly to make sure that it was logically sound. And these were all pushed up and everything stopped working. Like, really, seriously, a lot of things stopped working. Um, but that's because there's, like, some humans not done their job right. So if that's that, always if that, going to be the case, isn't it? Yeah. There's always going to be human human error, and I, I mean, but if this process could be more automated, it potentially could be safer. That's your classic engineering approach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the problem is that if it's more automated, it's even worse when something goes wrong. Yeah. It's harder to find what's going wrong, and the results are likely to be more catastrophic. So, I mean, this is exactly I feel like that's the uh, exactly the urge that pushes us towards consuming. Uh, robustness because we always think well this was a bit of a pain in the ass we can almost like kick that problem slightly further into the tail you know we can we can make it less frequent that this is going to happen by by changing something to make it more automated but the problem is when it does go wrong the the results are much more are much harder to deal this with. is exactly what has happened with my work because one go of my on. responsibilities is looking after video conference rooms of which we've got dozens of them and we had a system where previously we just used to have um, people who were not able to interface with it. They were locked out of it. And that kind of worked fine. Um, but then there was a new system where everything essentially gets controlled centrally. We can, And it's, it's even more automated, essentially. And sure enough, it does work really well until something goes wrong. And when something goes wrong, Jesus Christ, does it go wrong. And it's exactly as you've just described. So, 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 yeah, Peter, you. But I, but I, I mean, unless we've not heard from Chris for a bit. No, no I mean, I was, I was going to say, I, 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 I the cloud to, to me, in conceptual terms, appeals because it is distributed storage, right? And the one way, you know, I mean, you look back, right, and you think about things like the, um, uh, um, the burning of the Library of Alexandria, mm. uh, which may or may not have been actual, a modern example. An, an actual burning, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, you know, um, here you have uh, 
the potential, you know, devastating loss of lots of information. Uh, and we did, we, we have lost real, real uh, books and um, plays and works of art, like, um, uh, you know, the, the lost books of the Bible uh, and uh, Cardinio by, by Shakespeare, you know, the, the, the lost play about Don Quixote. Uh, and, you know, there, there are things that have gone missing. Uh, and the reason why, why that is the case is because, you know, knowledge... Uh, didn't used to be as distributed. You you know, books themselves were were expensive and f- you know few and far between. Uh, and if you lost those copies of the of the books, you know, um, look at the look at the dark ages in in Europe, and you know the the sort of um, only the fact that you had the sort of um, uh, the you know the Arab caliphates keeping alive classical knowledge and reintroducing that through you know Andalus and and the Holy Land and 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 Sicily and so on that that we re- rediscovered that knowledge but that might have all all been lost and there are ancient civilizations of whom we have not a jot of information about other than a few stone stone buildings and mm, um, yeah. you know even things like stone tablets you know um, uh, um, cuneiform. Uh, you know, is you think cast it? You know, that's that's carved in stone. You think that is sort of immortalized, but but it it isn't. So my hope was for the cloud that it it was a technology which was ensuring that knowledge didn't go up in didn't smoke, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, we're we're fairly close to to. I want. I've got something I want to move on to, but before we do that. Um, anything, uh, Peter? Do you want to come back on anything here? Well, just uh, to just to speak up for the engineers, uh, it's uh, I think it's quite astonishing how infrequent these major outages are, given that there's so many millions of boxes involved, so many millions of people involved in running it and updating it and adding new things and build it, and you know, and it's all sort of everything's on the internet is kind of always bleeding edge. You know, there's always some you build something, you're going to be relying on somebody else's code, which is probably only a week or day old uh it's amazing that things don't fall over more frequently i think mm. and that's i think that's that goes back to the original the 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 resilience of the fundamental technologies and on the which fact it's built it's a constantly live service yeah know, constantly live service serving everyone on the planet more or less yeah i mean i and i think we we should shoulder some of this burden you know it's not um as peter says the reason that the that we have sort of got a you know in some cases a lot of interdependence is because we've demanded that you know, we want all our things to be integrated. We want we want to be able to, you know, have a web app that's served from a different server because it's easy to have everything in one place. And, you know, it's it's easy to use when you're writing code. It's much easier to use a library that's already out there and is going to be updated. And, you know, it's just we want those things. We, we, we're we not willing to bear the cost of of, of robustness. And and I think, you know, the, we have a responsibility to, to mitigate those risks. Like, you know, certainly we uh, as a company have, you know, I think we have hard copy backups kept somewhere, don't we? Of not, our... not hard copy because that would be a lot of printing, but we have backups. Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't. I, perhaps I didn't mean that. I mean, on a, we have, <laughs> on we have, but drive. we have an external hard drive. Yeah, and we... I and I personally back. I've got a sort of multiple have, backup yeah. system where I have a daily backup on an external drive, and then I have a separate drive which is kept in a different place. And and you know, other things, things that are very important to me, like uh, the music that I've got on my playlists, I own. I, I don't. I'm not locked into a service for that. You know, I wouldn't be too devastated if Amazon went under and I lost access to some of the films, but um, but I, I would if if I lost some of the music, which doesn't exist on the internet. You know, well, this can sort of nicely brings me brings us on to what I wanted to talk about, um, and we need to be careful here not to stray into to um, territory which we often do, 
which is millennial bashing, right? Oh, God, no, please. Uh, no, I'm no, no, no. Well, that's what, I don't want, well, that's what I'm saying. I don't okay, want to. Okay, good. So, because what I want to talk about is, is the effect of this dependence has um, on society and in, in individuals. Because what you're talking about, some of the things you were talking about there, these are our choices. It's more convenient. And it's this sort of, um, we, and we want this, this dependence on this stuff and this streaming and this access to this. And, well, and I I'm just wondering We don't if want this... dependence, but we're willing to accept dependence as uh, the, the price. Yeah, and a trade-off of, of, is that you lose... having cool stuff at yeah, our fingertips. A trade-off is that you lose a certain amount of um, autonomy, let's say, of agency, because we increase living these systems where we rely on the system. We have less agency, we have less input into it, but everything works better. And also, because we want it, we can become more demanding, we get used to it. Um, I mean, do you, am I sort of... Am I, am I straying into to boring no, I territory? Think, yeah, go on, of, carry on. Where's it going? Well, I think it, it re- results in individuals who've got less wit about them, you know, um, and a bit more needy. He is, he is bashing millennials. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's going all fuddy-duddy now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, don't you think I'm right? I, well, no, I, I, think, I think it is true that you have less ownership over your, your knowledge and the provision of services to, to you as an individual. So, so if you, you know, if all your books or ebooks those can be taken away from you it's more difficult to do that with your with your bookshelf you're in possession of those that service can't just be turned off somebody has to come and physically take hold of your books and the same with you know your your lps or whatever it might yeah, be yeah no but also similarly i don't know if you're familiar there's this app out there called ways right which <laughs> which i use a lot when i when i'm driving okay but you know thinking back to myself 25 years ago you know i was using my a to z when i was driving around london and 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 I myself have become a, a dumber person, if you like. And what about people who've never even, never even had to bother map reading because they don't need to? I mean, I don't know. Am I just I think, being really well, I boring think, I think, here? No, no, I think if you come say, it, there's the question of whether the dependence on the service and the provision of the service uh, builds a, de- a dependency within the individual. So, like, I'm, I'm thinking with music collections, right? There was a time when you had to go and find out about music. You had to go off, find out where the record shop was that had whatever, you know, esoteric nonsense it was you were listening to. Find it, buy the record, and, and then, you know, somebody in that record shop might tell you about something. That knowledge was kind of... It was hard-earned. It was hard-earned, right? Yeah. And now you kind of click on something, and it says, do you want a playlist of all this kind of stuff? And you're like, yeah, okay, great. So, so even not only... Does the music itself is not owned by you, but the knowledge about the meta data about that um, that stuff isn't isn't owned by the individual either. They don't, you know. Yeah, they you can't. But, but, you can't but, have your but, but then you. LP but, but this this uh, the argument that, that you're dumbing down people. I think is bunk. I think people aren't any more stupid than they've ever been. They've always been pretty stupid. But they but. If you can, you can just do that quick query. Get an entire playlist of music. It means you can do that several times a day, yeah. rather and than demo- it democratizes that knowledge. Democratizes that knowledge. It, it means that it means that that hard work done by a small number of people to curate a kind of example of a particular type of indie rock can be enjoyed and used by many people. Yeah, I, I think the to... problem is that probably, and what Chris is thinking about uh, is that it's harder to tie that to your own personal identity. If everyone has access to the same knowledge, then then having you, there's nothing special about you knowing something because somebody else can just acquire that knowledge. Whereas in the old days, you know, you could be a big fan of uh, of the. I'm trying to think of a sort of re, you know Joy Division or something, and um and and know all about them and have all their albums. But everyone's got that now, so th- yeah. that doesn't make right. you special. 
maybe that's a good thing. Like maybe it was a bit stupid for us. Yeah, to, like, but I think, yeah. I think there's a positive trend though developing where your sort of sense of self worth and worth within society is not based on what you know because mm. knowledge is now easily to acquire, based on what you produce. So now it's uh, now the, the the cool kids are getting into sort of using hacker spaces and creator spaces to build little projects and things. They're using they they're sort of using skills that they're acquiring doing that rather than just relying on knowing stuff. Yeah, I think I think that's a very good point, and I and I uh, and I suspect you know that people throughout the last several hundred years since technolo- technological change has been something that happened in people's lifetimes have always said oh you know people are losing the old skills so you know in our day people would have said well nowadays kids can't repair cars or televisions or darn their own socks you know which was something you had to be able to do it, it, you know for 40 years before that and many now, happy evening when i was a kid darning my socks yeah, yeah. Uh, but i mean i mean that's the point is like well uh yeah we don't do that because we don't have to because socks are cheap and we're there are tv repairmen and you know cars don't break down as much so we you know we quite rightly consumed that you know and I and I think you know in things other things that might happen in the near future things like learning foreign languages may turn out to be less important you know mm. because it'll be easier to get simultaneous translation and, online and, and that to me you know, is the perfect these. the perfect encapsulation of the trade off because mm. everybody you know let's let's say there is no requirement to learn uh, different languages speaking to an app exactly that there's something about. Um, the acquisition of a language which is also also changes you know the way you you think and the person you you are yeah. you know it, it pushes the change into the into the person and equally you know if you if you didn't have if you didn't have distinctions between languages if that was all managed and it would probably erode the existence of individual languages anyway and those sort of cultural pockets of of difference would or presumably it might to... let them flourish yeah i would have yeah. thought yeah it's actually going to be yeah. a good thing because people don't aren't forced to learn english and anyway it's probably a separate podcast but i think we're st- i think we're stuck with it no one's going to row it we're stuck with it technology back, business so, yeah. yeah uh very briefly uh just to finish us off i just want to think of um when you've been left most adrift by a technology failure um i can kick off with an example if you like um, it wasn't actually a technology failure as such but it was uh, when I was on a business trip about eight years or so ago, I might have mentioned this before. I was in Austria, um, and um, my 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 hotel room got. I was on a business trip. My hotel room got robbed, um, and the most important thing that I was robbed of was at the time my BlackBerry. Um, so it meant I had no phone, and I had didn't really have a way to communicate to email, or I had to rely on don't know desktops in different places and I had to continue my business trip to Turkey and the problem was was what I found was not that I couldn't that I didn't have those things the problem was that I didn't have those things and everyone else did and so I just was not able to operate in in this world so not exactly a technology failure as such but suddenly it it was very very difficult to operate and go to meetings and communicate and, and all that kind of stuff so yeah I mean that's my example uh yeah well i think i think the one for me probably was the time my um glasses broke when i was on holiday uh and i i need them for driving and for being able to see anything in the in the distance and that realization of oh i'm i'm not i'm not, I'm not that badly uh you know um, uh short sighted that um that i can't see but uh you know it was just a complete dependence on a piece of technology and I, I ended up having to sellotape them back together again like, like they I basically look like harry potter by the yeah. end of it okay yeah nice 
chaps well i i i've got the opposite really it's more of a kind of uh, a specific non uh, dependence which i have always had and and i would find very hard to give up which is you know one of the reasons i really like living in london is that if it all goes to shit i can walk home i'm not dependent on anyone to get me home it takes me about an hour and a half to walk home from central london but that's mm. doable and um and, you know, there have been a few times uh, where, you know, there was a big blackout, I remember, in the 90s, where I was, uh, late 90s, where I was sort of stuck in the centre of town. I had to walk home because the tubes weren't running, nothing was running. And uh, I was so, you know, and, I, and, I, and yet I, I, know, I know a lot of these people who live out in the, in the you know, the suburbs and or live out in sort of commuter towns who are really, they just, every, the whole evening when you're out with them is governed by the need to get the sort of last train to, you know, to, to Horsham or whatever. And and um, I hate I would hate that you know I I really hate being dependent on other people to to do something as fundamental as getting home. I can't think of an example. Peter's Peter's completely yeah, I, dependent I, on I, electronics. I, he would literally die. Yeah. I would literally if, die. But I've also I've engineered my life such that I'm, it's incredibly resilient. <laughs> the closest I got was actually I, I lost the first mobile phone I've ever lost. Yeah. Um, was about three months ago, four months ago. Yeah. Uh, it felt, I think it fell out of my pocket on the bus or I was pickpocketed on the bus or something um, and that highlighted to me a few dependencies on the phone which I hadn't managed to find a replication for to to unlock but it recovered pretty quickly but I've subsequently eliminated those vulnerabilities by just having it in, implanted within his, his brain yeah. so just so, be yeah. like Peter I think it's a good point so Peter is both highly connected but also highly robust so we can have both feels like an advert for him yeah it's good yeah. transhumanism it's the way yeah. forward yeah, yeah. okay we'll wrap well, when, up but when I can get an RFID chip inserted in my brain I will because that would be incredibly useful I look forward to it we'll have a party um, gentlemen thank you very much um, we'll wrap up there uh, thank you for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast I'm Fraser McGrew we've been here with Peter Coghill Nick Hare and Chris Rag of Aleph Insights until next time goodbye goodbye